SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. A greater Egypt than that of my father. That is not what I see. <laughs> Moses, I cannot change what you see. I have to maintain the ancient traditions. I bear the weight of my father's crown. Do you still not understand what said he was? Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2, a podcast that looks at movies in a franchise, one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shirky. With me is Thrasher. You're playing with the big boys now. That's right. And uh, this time around, we're, you know, we discovered a lot of Jim Carrey movies with Ace Ventura and The Mask. And we thought we'd wrap it up with another Jim Carrey series based on the Bible, Prince of Egypt. No, yeah, we're doing the uh, cartoon Prince of Egypt. Um, which had a direct video sequel, Joseph, King of Dreams, that we'll talk about uh, next week. This uh, movie came out in 98, directed by Brenda Chapman, Steve Hickner, and Simon Wells, with a screenplay by Philip Zepnik and Nicholas Meyer, uh, based on the Book of Exodus from the Bible, featuring the voices of Val Kilmer, Ray Fiennes, Michelle Pfeiffer, Sandra Bullock, Jeff Goldblum, Patrick Stewart, and Danny Glover, and Steve Martin and Martin Short. A lot of famous people in here. Everyone's with, um, in this movie. Yeah, the uh, the score is by Hans Zimmer. The songs are by Stephen Schwartz. And um, this uh, came out, you know, this had a, a budget of $70 million and worldwide made $218 million. So, although it did well, it didn't make, like, uh, Lion King money. Well, I want to talk about that, because the movie was kind of politely referred to as a flop, but the whole reason it was referred to as a flop and why it didn't make Lion King money is because Spielberg, I think, very wisely chose not to merchandise this movie. Really? Yeah, yeah, that's surprising with stuff at the time. Well, because so in doing doing my pre-search, I found out that um, that uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, you know, one of the founders of DreamWorks, who you know he used to be attached to Disney, that when he was working at Disney, he tried for years to get an animated remake of the Ten Commandments made, uh, and the, apparently the reason. The reason why one of the reasons why that never got made is that no one could no one at Disney could figure out a tasteful way to make a Ten Commandments Happy Meal. It was like all the market mm. synergy stuff, and so you know once you know, DreamWorks gets going and you get Spielberg involved, Spielberg just takes that pressure away. It's like no, this is a serious Bible movie. We're not going to merchandise it. That would be disrespectful to the material. So yeah, there's no um, action figures. There's no tie-in mm. video game. Uh, there's there's the movie, there's the soundtrack, and then there's the theatrical poster, and I think that's it. Yeah, well, one interesting thing about the soundtrack is there's actually three soundtracks. There's one that's the soundtrack to the movie, and then they had two separate soundtracks that were uh, Prince of Egypt, you know, songs inspired by Prince of Egypt, and one was country music, and the other was uh, R&B music. Wow, really? I did not know about those. Yep, yeah. and... Um, 
Whether those have covers on them, I'm not sure. I haven't looked at the track listing, but I was sort of surprised when I found that out. And uh, I, I found an interesting story. I mean, I'm looking here at, uh, you know, DreamWorks Animation and their uh, what they were doing. And 1998 was, was uh, when the first two uh, animations from uh, animated films from DreamWorks came out. You had Ants in October, the CG one, and then you had Prince of Egypt, which is, um, you know, a mixture of 2D animated and some CG stuff or the backgrounds. Uh, in December 18th of 1998. And, you know, you look at you look at those two movies, and, like, Ants is a brilliantly ugly movie. It's, it's the kind yes. of ugly that I wish we got more of an animation, but it does have a point. There is, like, a, a philosophical and moral point to that movie, and then you have this Prince of Egypt, which is a very... I, a prestige picture and a throwback to the old mm-hmm. uh, biblical epics of uh, the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And then you look at Shrek, and then that's all the studio does. <laughs> from that yeah, they do on. like four Shrek movies. They also did Kung Fu Panda, right, was the big other big thing. And How to Train Your Dragon, which I understand is uh, good, but I've never seen it. I've seen the first one. The first one's pretty decent. And who could forget Madagascar? I mean, yeah, so I mean, they, they did a lot of, you know, sort of more traditional animated stuff um, after this as far as what it's about. And I think that's kind of a shame. I um, recall reading uh, an interview with some of the uh, with the animation department uh, around the time this movie came out, and, you know, Steven Spielberg had been involved with, uh, anima- had dabbled in animation through his different companies in one way or another, whether it's Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, or things like... Um, American you know, Tale. Land- American Tale, Land Before Time, uh, things like that. And Land Before Time might have just been George Lucas, I could be mistaken on that. But um, regardless, you know, he had an interest in the medium. And some of the initial pitches, he said, oh, we, you know, Japanese animation is doing a lot of mature things. We should do like an animated, uh, kind of like a Terminator story, like an action story. And I think Spielberg's response was, well, we should do the the greatest story of all, the Bible. Um, But as you mentioned, Katzenberg wanted to do this for uh, quite some time when he was at Disney. Uh, interesting story about, are you familiar with Stephen Schwartz at all, the guy that did the um, songs for this movie? Uh, very little, unfortunately. Yeah, so he um, is most famous for doing uh, Broadway shows like Godspell, Pippin, and Wicked. And he did um, lyrics for, let's pull this up, um, things like Pocahontas and Hunchback of Notre Dame. And he was supposed to do stuff for Mulan, and uh, what, what happened there was he, at the same time DreamWorks offered him Prince of Egypt because of his Godspell connection and all that stuff, and he thought, oh, this is a... And so he was working at both at the same time, and when Disney found out, they basically said, pulled him aside and said, okay, uh, we don't like people working, you know, if you, when you work with Disney, you just work with Disney and the animated stuff. You shouldn't work for other people, so you're going to have to make a choice. Prince of Egypt or Mulan. And Stephen Schwartz's response was along the lines of, well, can't I just do both? I mean, they're just, they're just you know, they're jobs. I, I can work on two movies at the same time. And Disney told him no, and so he dropped out of Mulan to do Prince of Egypt. Wow. Because he didn't like the way he was being treated. Um, and I don't blame him. That's an awkward position to be in, but... Well, I think I think in the long run he made the right choice. Yeah, no, um, and 
it, it's you mentioned you know like the Lion King was a, a famous, uh, very successful cartoon that came out a few years before this, and they got Hans Zimmer to do the score, and he also did the score for the Lion King, so it's um, yeah, and DreamWorks was always very big about having big celebrity names doing the voices, and making that sort of front and center in the marketing. And uh, yeah, Prince of Egypt. When's the first time you saw this movie? Uh, we saw. I saw this opening weekend when it came out. I don't know if I saw it opening weekend, but it was pretty close. I saw it. We were visiting my grandparents, and uh, my grandpa was interested in seeing this, so we took everyone out to the theater to see it on a hot night in Florida. Um, well, for me, it's I. I, I love animation as a medium, and I was so happy that DreamWorks was trying to get into 2D animation. And it's one of those things, if anyone that wasn't Disney did a 2D animated movie at the time, I would go out and see it, because I wanted to support it, and because I, I wanted there to be... I wanted there to be alternatives to Disney. I wanted more variety in in my my animated movies. Sadly, I've never really quite gotten that variety, but I was very happy that I saw this. Yeah, no, I thought this maybe would be a kickoff to a new kind of thing or more interesting um, animated features from American studios, and it really hasn't been. I mean, you've had some things that have tried to cater to adults more like, I don't know, Sausage Party or something, um, or what Adam Sandler did, Eight Crazy Nights, uh, but, I mean, other than sort of, you know, a few raunchy animated comedies here and there, there's so much you can do with the medium. And I like that it's trying to tell, um, it's an adaptation of one of the, the oldest stories around. It It's pretty respectful. You, I have my problems with the Steve Martin and Martin Short characters, but it's not as offensive as, say, the talking, dancing gargoyles in Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> like, it, it, it's trying to be pretty respectful and serious and to the source material and not be not have all the like a, a balancing animal for the kids well do you want to uh skip ahead and talk about steve martin and martin short or do you want to do a traditional plot breakdown i think we should do a traditional plot breakdown um this is based off you know the first part of the book of exodus and you have uh moses and the whole let my people go stuff and the parting of the red sea and all this um it's you know as far as stories from the bible go it's one of the more famous ones. Um, well, it's also it's it's one of those ones where it's 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 sort of a story that's bigger than itself because it's it's a tremendously important story in the Jewish faith, but it's also an important story in the Christian faith, and it's also an important story in the Muslim faith, even if that importance kind of is is approached from different areas. Right, and while making this, um, they had you know big leaders in the. Christian, Jewish, and Muslim communities look at the film and sort of give their, I guess, blessing or sort of give their comments on it to sort of make it, um, to make sure they were on track and not doing anything that would piss off the other groups. Um, and I'm wondering what changes they made from those. I'd be curious to find out. But That, that and, and would it, be it, interesting. Yeah. It even opens with a statement, doesn't it, in that this is based off yeah, it it opens with a statement, you know, saying that this is you know based on based on an Old Testament story, and that certain and I, I I don't remember the exact wording, but that certain historical, mythological, and theological liberties have been taken, but we believe we have captured the essence of this story. Right, which overall Which is probably is is, is true, at least from my reading of it. 
Well, I think so, and then I, I actually went back and read a little bit of the book of Exodus from the King James Version, and if you're trying to do like a literal adaptation of a Bible story, it'd be quite short, because a lot happens like in a few sentences. We, it's, it's funny It's funny you mention that, because my, my reading of it comes from the Good News translation, so I'll have to see if that leads to any varying interpretations. Um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I think, you know, the language in the King James Version is a bit older. I'm, I'm looking over the credits. This has three directors to it, which is, um, you know, not terribly uncommon for animation. And um, one thing of note, Brenda Chapman was a, uh, a co-director on the Pixar movie Brave, but she had worked on story for such, uh, in the story department for such movie uh, Disney cartoons as Beauty and the Beast and Hunchback and Fantasia 2000 and all these things. Um, Steve Hickner had, oh, let's see, he also directed, like, the Bee movie. Oh, is that the one where they where they speed up a little bit every time they say Bee? <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, a lot of memes for that one. And then Richard, or, sorry, Simon Wells, the other director, also, uh, he directed a, a live-action film called The Time Machine with Guy Pierce. And he directed a motion capture animated movie that was a notorious flop from 2011, Mars Needs Moms. Oh, wow. Based off the uh, Berkeley, is it breathed or breathed? Uh, uh, Berkeley breathed. Breathed, yes. Um, based on one of his books. The creator of Bloom County. Yes, yeah, better known for that. So um, anyhow, you know, all these directors have good experience. And uh, I, I read an interesting note doing research where they specifically had um, the, uh, the Egyptians look more stylized and the Hebrews to look more like uh, people. Well, I'm going to give more this... Realistic. So I got to give this movie props because okay, so so growing growing up in uh, growing up uh, as a member of our local Methodist church, uh, I have seen lots of animated adaptations of, of various Bible stories, and yes. this is the only one I can remember where they make a good faith effort to make the characters look Middle Eastern. Sure, that's true with the skin tones and yeah, the way they look. That that's a good point. I think on the other hand, you can say that um, it's voiced mainly by white people as opposed to Middle Eastern people, but I think with, I don't know, with, with the way um, DreamWorks has done with their animated features, it's always focusing big on the celebrities. Well, beyond that, though, do, in the Western market. Because I, I look at that and I feel like that just, that speaks more to the reach of this story. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I should correct myself a little bit. You know, uh, the the mother, the biological mother of Moses is, is voiced uh, by Ofra Haza, who was a uh, Israeli um, sort of, you know, pop superstar that unfortunately died at the age of 42 of AIDS. Oh, no. In 2000, yeah. But she does, you know, that she does the singing to baby Moses in the beginning uh, and does this beautiful sort of extended note but yeah i mean the way this movie begins it really um even though it's it's rated pg and there's not blood or anything it's still pretty intense depicting the hebrew slaves under um the pharaoh 
and you get this, uh, I think one of my favorite songs in this is Deliver Us. It's just a very sort of powerful, traditional sounding uh, kind of opening number about how the, the Hebrews are persecuted and enslaved and they want to, uh, you know, they're just in there. And then intercuts that with, uh, you know, baby Moses uh, going, being placed by his mother on uh, on the, the raft to go down the River Nile and being picked up by the pharaohs. And yeah, that that opening number is is a gut punch, and it's and it's one of those things. The it looks every single whip crack looks so painful. It's the kind of thing where if this if this movie wasn't adapting a Bible story, I think that exact same depiction of violence would have gotten this movie a PG-13 or possibly even an R, if only because American audiences are not used to real violence depicted in animation. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. You see people getting whipped, you see people getting fought over, just the, the struggle and the sort of operatic, uh, larger-than-life um, nature of, of the the number is uh, I found you know pretty powerful. I thought it was a little bit cheesy when the um, you have the uh, oh you know the the daughter of the pharaoh sing the song and stuff. Oh no, that's the, the that's the uh, the pharaoh's oh, wife. Sorry, the pharaoh's wife. But then you have like the the little girl sings or something like oh my baby brother today. Um, but yeah, so and then it, it goes to years later where it's Moses and the brother Pharaoh, and the Bible just referred to as Pharaoh, but here they call him Ramesses after the real historical figure. They are, you know, start out as friends, and I think that's an interesting way to, to take things. Well, they uh, really, but, well, they've been raised as brothers, and like yes. that's, that's how they behave. <laughs> And they really and they really do play up the difference that you know R- Ramesses is destined to assume the throne, so he's got to have all this responsibility thrust on him, which leaves Moses plenty of opportunity to be kind of fun loving because he knows, at, at least at that point in his life, he will never have that level of responsibility. And so I do, there's there's a lot of endearing stuff uh, with Moses and Ramesses getting into trouble. There, there is right. You get sort of this uh, kind of action sequence where they're sort of chariot racing around the town and they knock over the nose off the um, sphinx. Yeah, which, you know, as, as we all know, if you have an animated movie set in Egypt and you see a nose on a sphinx, that nose is coming off. It is Chekhov's nose. Chekhov's nose, of course, um, better than Chekhov's nostril. And when that happens, I mean, that's a good example of how they use CG to augment the 2D animation. The nose is CG and it's falling and following them. Uh, as you know, everything sort of crumbles. They use CG for a lot of the sand effects uh, in the movie, and I think it's pretty tastefully done. I mean, some of it doesn't look great. I think uh, the uh, well, the, the basket are, that the chariots Moses are a little in, bit too stylized. A little bit too stylized, right? But beyond um, that, everything, everything, including the CGI, does have a very painterly feel. I mean, everything has a brushstroke texture, which I think really helps the film. Yeah, for the most part, it doesn't leap out and make itself uh, obvious. And I, I like the running thing in the beginning here of Ramesses. Is, uh, it seems like he's always being blamed for stuff his brother does, and you sort of see these initial seeds of, of resentment there, but he's also sort of frustrated that he is the uh, 
the Pharaoh and, and all these things. Um, but that he gives uh, his first act is to appoint Moses as the royal chief architect really shows how much they uh, they care for each other because Moses is well, surprised by that. Well, it's a complete back and forth because after after Patrick Stewart is as Pharaoh chews Ramesses and Moses out, Moses speaks to Pharaoh, and that that's what inspires Pharaoh to make uh, to kind of re- to go ahead with making Ramesses prince regent. Uh, but yeah, the it's it really is. It really is great to see them, you know, together as brothers and friends. And that's something, that's one thing that this movie does that I don't think I've ever seen in any other adaptation of this story. Um, it does make the Egyptian characters sympathetic. It doesn't make them blameless, mm-hmm. but like you, you actually give a damn what happens to the Egyptian characters in this movie. In most adaptations, I find that the Egyptians um, are completely dehumanized and are just portrayed as these amoral, hedonistic monsters. Uh, but they get to be—they get to be, especially Ramesses. They get to be real people in this movie. Right, that is nice. Um, you get sort of some setup for something that pays off later, where the uh, priest Hotep and Hoy, played by uh, Steve Martin and Martin Short, respectively go and uh, present a, uh, a young uh, woman to, um, to Ramses, who then offers it to Moses, who doesn't want her, but um, she does sort of a dance, and later that character becomes important, but they, they don't give, she doesn't have a lot to do initially. Well, it's a great, it's a great switch, because uh, the woman, <clears throat> you know, it's, 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 it's exactly what you think, and Moses kind of goes into his own chamber embarrassed, and you see this Hello, silhouette yes. behind the draperies around his bed, and he's kind of given this whole piece. He's trying to communicate with her, pulls the draperies aside, and it's a guard who's been trussed up and tied up, and she and she's escaped. And this is this is. It could be played for it. This scene could be played mm-hmm. for broad she's comedy, escaped. but I like that it's generally clever. Where Moses goes out into the courtyard to catch Zipporah instead encounters the guards and he keeps the guards distracted to cover Zipporah's escape. So it's it's a good it's a good character moment. Sister. And uh at oh, no, this that's time, his brother, I believe that's his, uh, his, his brother-in-law. Biological his sister's um, husband. Brother and sister, yeah. Oh, oh no. Oh, his brother. And I gotta say, this is before, ironically, casting Jeff Goldblum was a big thing. He's. The brother in law, Aaron, is played by Jeff Goldblum. He's acting, but he's still Jeff Goldblum in this role. Right. It's pretty downplayed for him, and as the part of uh, Moses' biological sister. It is uh, Sandra Bullock, who I think is fine. Not one of the better performances, but she doesn't have a whole lot to do. But it's sort of, you know, he doesn't really, he doesn't recognize him. But then Marion sings some of the songs. And he goes, and so he goes back, he that, goes back to the palace. Moses and this is where we get a really neat kind of experimental scene. Because Moses, kind of Moses that. has a, a nightmare in which... In, in which the story of him being put in the in the basket and sent down the river is replayed 
but it's also replayed with the other half of that story, which was the Pharaoh descending into the, the Hebrew ghetto and killing the firstborn. But it's all played out in it's all played out as animated hieroglyphs. But they don't over animate the hieroglyphs. It, it's like intentionally bad animation. Yeah, and then you have the reveal at the end that, that you know that they were just uh, killing the the male children in the river. And you get that wide shot reveal. He's talking to, to Pharaoh and Ramesses. Uh, afterwards, you get a great scene where Moses talks to Ramesses, and he says, "Well, the Hebrews were only slaves." And oh, sorry, not Ramesses to the Pharaoh, and he he says the Hebrews are only slaves, and Moses is, is horrified. And uh, the next day, he accidentally kills. Yeah, he, guard cl- he climbs up. He climbs up the, the scaffolding to to confront the guard who he's ordering you know, to to, to desist. And uh, yeah, in and, and it's it's like a it's like a very minor minor tussle. Like he does his actions do get the guard killed, but it is still it is still somewhat of an accident because he wasn't he wasn't trying to get the guard killed. But it's played it's played with appropriate horror, and I like that. I like that we see that corpse. Like it's not it's not like so many Disney deaths where somebody falls off a cliff and you just see them disappear and you just assume that they die because there's a music sting, mm-hmm. but after the guard falls, we get that close up of of his hand, as like the life leaving him and that little twitch of his hand. Like it it is undeniable a man has just died. Well, I do like the scene afterwards where Moses is just pretty, you know, ashamed, embarrassed, and, you know, freaked out by what happened, but that Ramses yeah, but that, is acting like, oh, it's no big deal, you can stay. And then that eventually leads and to, to the, Moses the fleeing. the contrast to their attitudes is well done. Before we go into him fleeing Egypt, um, what they, do you think about the performances? They play of, off uh, of each other really, you know, really well. Val Kilmer is Moses, and it, it and does. It also makes Ramesses. me long for the days when Val Kilmer was a leading man. Like, yeah, Val Kilmer. You know, he doesn't have a lot of ticks in his performances. He he wisely underplays it and refines. He's pretty convincing at the first, you know, they do they do have a relationship of, as brothers, but eventually as, as his character um, hardens and has different needs that he's trying to fulfill, he gets, uh, you know, more angry. But it's not, you know, I agree, it's, it's like you said, it's not like yeah, a favorite. But uh, eventually, the uh, so this is something, so, so Moses, you know, gets lost they, they in the sandstorm uh, and then gets somewhat rescued uh, by by a camel and uh, is eventually is eventually brought to uh, to Midian where you know, he, he uh, re-encounters uh, Zipporah, her family, uh, her father, uh, Jethro the High Priest, played by uh, Danny Glover. And there's a lot of this like, I'm gonna another piece of praise I gotta put in this movie. No goofy animal sidekicks. Like the camel shows up, does his bit of business, but then he's gone. And that and that happens. Like whenever an animal yes. shows up in this movie, it does what it needs to do for the purpose of the story, and then it departs the movie. 
Right, you easily dance. could have imagined in a, a lesser film, Camel punched by coming along for the ride and spitting in Egyptians' faces, yeah, doing a dance, maybe getting punched, uh, you know, perhaps uh, coming to the rescue as they part the Red Sea, helping it, people escape. It's one way the movie yeah, breaks just, with They the have Disney one sort of goofy scene and with the Camel very that's... Thankful for that works fine for what it is and then they keep on going but this is this is what we get i think uh one of the one of the better musical yeah. numbers is that the uh the grand design song which i i actually rather like well i just like i like that it's it's just it's generally it's generally upbeat and positive um, but then that it also what is it that you like about it, it also is part of the progression of the story because the the Oh yeah, because the story the story begins, or the, that musical number begins with Moses having his first meal. Uh, with yeah, you see Moses getting married. But by the time that song has ended, yeah, he he's he's married. He has a profession. He's been fully accepted uh, in in their society. There's just, like a lot of story is covered in that song, and and they're not and they're not too hitting you over the head with it because it's not as if the story it's not as if the song comments on what's happening in the plot necessarily. No, but it, it's sort of, um, it's explaining, you know, a different way of life than how he lived his life in, among the Egyptians, and it's a, it's a good contrast, and it, it shows that Moses, he, uh, he becomes part of the, part of the tribe out there, and he mar- and he ends up marrying the I see, woman I would, that escaped from his quarters like, earlier. Uh, I, I knew it was, was played by Michelle Pfeiffer, and I thought she was unrecognizable. But I part. think that that might just be that's more my ear than anything else because it's not yeah. it's not like a, a Michelle Pfeiffer type role. Okay, and I think even at this time, the thing she would have been most known for would have been Catwoman in Batman. Sure. Returns. That's right. Um, after this, you get the very, very famous scene of I, Moses in the burning bush. I keep bush going back and forth on to him. that. Um, and in a in, nice in a touch, lot of I think, like, they I also think, have like, Val Kilmer voice God. Having Val Kilmer be the voice of God in the burning bush scene, which there's some neat little it, animated yeah. tricks in that, just that I love. But the, the as far as the voice goes, like it does, it does work, except when God gets shouty. It, it doesn't it like I feel like it, it loses some of its gravitas uh, and and the fact that it's the same voice mm. for both characters gets way too obvious in those moments because when when God is initially speaking through the bush, he like it's it's a different style of voice that Val Kilmer's doing and and it's very and it's very subtle but if you're paying attention you notice it's the same voice actor in many ways I do wish they had just found. I, I wish they had just found an established actor, possibly with some with some some history with this kind of material, and had them do it. Like how? Yeah, how awesome would it be if Charlton Heston had been the voice of God? Do you do you think they could have had like Charlton Heston? Yeah, that would have been cool. I think I like how they do the voice of God here. Is they uh, if you have uh, a good speaker setup, you can hear, they do a lot of surround effects. With the voice of God and with the treatment, with the echo, 
with the the sound in the background. That's it, a that's well done. It's and I think you know maybe they have him relatively soft spoken compared to other portrayals in other films as they kind of wanted to do their own thing. But on the other hand, that makes it when later when God is telling Moses to do certain things, it's not, um, you're, I expect it at least to be sort of like a, a gut punch and should be a, an overwhelming sort of sound, and it's not really, it's more... Yeah, but I'll say, that um, scene looks beautiful, just the way, the way they like do... suggestions than... The way they, they do that, that cave, it's like, it's like that windblown cave in Arizona where everything has these wonderful organic curves. Uh, they play around with the light source a lot in this scene. I love that one bit where you see the, you see Moses' feet on the sand, and like all the pebbles are slowly rolling away from the bush. It's there's just like there's neat little supernatural things going on in that scene that I rather like. Yep. You have um let's see what else. So Moses, you know, he gets the commanded by God to to go and ask to let let my people go as they say. Um and when he goes back, his uh, his brother. Well, this his, scene, uh, the scene where where Moses and Ramses reunite, to see him, uh, reunite, to see him uh, again like after it's, all those years. But then he's also it's a, like it's a very touching, heartfelt scene, and it's very it's heartbreaking to see how happy Ramses is that that Moses has returned, especially if you know what's coming in the story. Yeah, unfortunately... I think uh, okay, good. I have been point, waiting for this part of the movie. I think it's not a great musical number called Playing with the Big Boys. Yeah, with, with and this is Steve Martin, Martin Short, as the high priest, and you saw them briefly in the beginning. Um, I think they do a good job of not sounding like the comedians, because they, they know they're in a serious film, they don't want it. And it, this song is just... It, I think that some review called it like I was reading called it like it looks like a Las Vegas show number and they're right like it's it's too flashy it's well, I kind of like so it, the, the lyrics I they think name this different musical number doesn't God, go far enough and so here's so here's um, here's the deal in in the, in, the, in the book of Exodus it, it, it just, uh, it's it's sort of it's sort of set up that the the Egyptian mm, sorcerers yeah. are as Gandalf would put it conjurers of cheap tricks that it's all sort of sleight of hand illusion things like that and this movie really really leans into that we never we never see um, Hotep and and Hui doing actual sorcery they're always doing sleight of hand and tricks mm -hmm. and uh, and 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 things that look impressive if you don't know how they're done um, and. What this musical number needs, because like I, the first half of this musical number, I love because it's creepy and intimidating, and that chant they make using the words of all, the names of all the Egyptian gods, it just it just build, builds such dread. But I feel like what this musical yeah. number really should do in the second half, which is where it falls apart, is lean into the fact that they're effectively Las Vegas stage magicians, like. Every time one of them does something impressive that's supposed to be intimidating, I feel like the camera should move slightly to show the other one doing the cheap trick. Like, we, th this, what this musical number really should do is hammer home that they're just using simple prestidigitation mm. to impress rubes 
and that that stuff is not going to intimidate Moses. But but instead, it goes on too long, and it never really it never reaches the height that a good villain song should reach. The o- the only part about this I like is that it's 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 very well animated the way they handle the staff turning the stabs turning into snakes and, and battling each other. Um, that I think is animated very well, even though it is mostly in shadow. But but yeah, regrettably the the number the number falls flat. However, the the next number does a good job of being consistently creepy, in which we get, uh, you know, Ramses just blown out with Moses. The plague plague number is very, very creepy, where they're just like singing over and over again where where the plagues will manifest and like and it starts really subtly with with the frogs coming out of the nile but like the bread rotting and the maggots coming out of it is just it's straight up music video disturbing uh the people waking up with the sore with bed sores and lice this is this is another one of those things where where it is it is horrific and you do feel a certain amount mm-hmm. of sympathy for for the Egyptians that that fall that fall prey to some of these plagues, but it's also so darkly beautiful when the fire rains down from the sky and starts destroying the temples and such. And uh, and the way they show the final plague, I think, is really tastefully done because you, you have uh, Moses goes and if you're if it's a Hebrew family you know you, you paint with the lamb's blood over the door and that way the final plague that will kill your firstborn will not hit that family in that house that will be protected and you get this great use of CG where it's this sort of white looks like almost like a cloudy spirit sort of thing and it's just pretty and and you just get that little gasp every time someone dies and just like and and this this is another scene that's very brutal because there's that bit where like there's that egyptian child who's carrying water into his Mm -hmm. house in the middle of the night and he walks into his house the spirit passes by and you just hear the his jar of water break and his hand fall out of the door oh but and and yeah so uh, again they do they do they do offer a certain amount of sympathy for, for the Egyptians who are caught in the middle of this. Cause one thing that, that they do well, um, and there's a scene before the final plague where Moses confronts, uh, Ramses and they have like one more conversation where they reminisce about a prank that they pulled involving switching the heads on some statues of gods. Uh, and this, this kind of this, this, what this scene does and, and does something very well is that, it pu- it puts the moral weight of the plagues on Ramesses because it's his, it's his pride and his arrogance that that makes the plagues inevitable and, and it it makes it uh, it makes it so that he it, it gives him the responsibility that he that he should have that you know all of this could have been avoided if he had just listened to his brother but he refused he refused to do that and now all of Egypt is suffering. But yeah, the, but yeah, the 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 Passover with 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 the people with mm-hmm. with the, with the spirit just taking people's lives. It it is it is creepy. It's one of those things where it's sort of like you can't look away from it. It's it's almost hypnotic in its subtle horror. 
Right. It's uh, well done. You see the, the scope of everything affected by the plagues, and then you see, as, you know, moved by uh, Moses sees Ramses, and Ramses' you know, firstborn son is lying there dead. Oh, yeah, they, at that at that point, Ramesses is well and truly Moses a broken man, and you can and you can tell that Mo- Moses still cares for him, and Moses is is heartbroken that that they had to go through all this. And then we get then we get a musical number. So we we uh, where you know where the you know the Hebrews are, are, are freed, and they sing and they sing the song about uh, about faith called uh, when you believe, and this is a this is a song where even when watching it. I keep going back and forth between, oh, this musical number is too long. Oh, this musical number is just long enough. Oh, no, this musical number has gone on too long. Oh, this musical number has gone on long enough. Like, it's every time I get bored with this song, they it changes in some really mm-hmm. intriguing way. But it does feel, it does eat up a lot of time. Especially as it's not the climax of the film. <laughs> It does, and it doesn't, um, yeah, it feels like it should be at the climax, right? And and they could have moved it to the climax. I think it would have worked better there, because the story is not over yet. And oh, yeah. uh, in this one, you know, became a, a hit uh, pop single with uh, Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston doing the vocals. And it also won the Academy Award for Best Original Song. It, we also we also get one of the one of the few instances so, of real Hebrew um, in this movie. They, but yeah, it, there, there I agree. A chorus it, the song, song is, in is Hebrew, fine. It's nice. not one of my favorites, but mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, having this at the end, I think would have been better than the ending. We the ending in this movie is a bit bizarre, but we'll get into that. Um, and we get the the big scene at the Red Sea, and, and the way they do the parting of the Red Sea is really well done. As you mentioned earlier, you know it's a painterly approach to CG. Yeah, the, the, but I, I love the part of it when they're walking through, and you can see like the fish and stuff on the other end. And we also see as a, lightning is and we also see a shark. And, and I'm always wondering: uh, is it a shark because that's a type of fish the, you can immediately recognize, or is it a side. shark as a subtle reference to Jaws? Because this is a Spielberg produced movie. But, but yet, yeah, what makes the parting of the Red Sea scene really, really work are those, are oh, those touches. Yeah, because, I don't know. That's like, a good the, point. Being um, able to see the sea creatures in the water is amazing. But also that as they're walking along the sea bottom, we see parts of wrecked ships. Like, there's all these shipwrecks that they pass by, some of which, like, partially sticking out of the wall of water. And that makes this so mm. right. so much more real. The fact that this is a waterway that's been traveled and people have died here and ships have sunk here. It it makes it well actually it does two things. It makes the environment much more real because any any waterway that humans live by is gonna have stuff like that. But the fact that we see shipwrecks foreshadows the fate of the Egyptian army. It marks that it marks the red bottom of the Red Sea as a place of death. Yes, and you get uh, you know big use of CG here with uh, just having the sheer amount of people, uh, the Hebrews going through the Red Sea, but also there being 
it turns out they're being oh, chased yeah, and then, by, yeah, of course uh, the seawall collapses the entire egyptian army gets drowned uh, pharaoh pharaoh though washes ashore i kept ex- i had forgotten that he doesn't die because he gets dashed against these rocks when he gets washed ashore but then he stands up and starts screaming moses which is a little bit a little bit over the top like like i there i i strangely enough i feel like that's a bit too too like heightened if, yes. he had, if he had just screamed in anguish i think it would have worked but the fact that he's calling out moses's name it's 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 a it's kind it's a little bit cheesy it's a little it's a little bit cliche people falling on their knees and screaming a name has kind of been done to death like, even at the time it was played more for comedy than it ever was for drama And you'd think the movie would end at this point, but it doesn't. Right, and um, we see... No, instead... And when I'm watching, I'm wondering, well, this, like, how does this final scene yeah, this, play this, if you've this never this read the Bible? Kinda, or, or heard I of hate this, to say it, but it disappoints uh, me because... Story. It, it, in, because... If I, if, if I was in charge of this movie, uh, you know... After the falling, after mm-hmm. the, after the the parting of the Red Sea is when we would get that when you, uh, when you believe number, and that it would end it would end with the Hebrews walking off into the desert uh, towards the horizon, and that's how I would end it. But Prince of Egypt does linger too too long. We see a lot of them wandering. We see them building settlements, uh, and then we do see Moses come down uh, from the mountain carrying the Ten Commandments, and. So much goes on in the book of Exodus during the Ten Commandments that it's like, well, that needs to be its own movie. Don't don't show me the Ten Commandments, but then not show all the stuff that happens around the Ten Commandments. It seem it seems really really tacked on, um, and I realize they can't show the the Hebrews arriving yes. in the Promised Land after the forty years of wandering in the desert because by that point Moses is dead and. You'd have to do a lot of, or no? Did he die? Did he ascend to heaven? I forget what the, what what his fate is in the book of Exodus, but, but so that would be something that it would take too long to explain. This this ending, regrettably, all this this post climax stuff is all is all dead weight. It's it's almost like this was a Marvel movie, and this would have been the post credit sequence. Yeah, it's it's you know sort of a hero shot. I was reminded of the shot of the end of Batman Forever when Batman's running towards the screen in slow motion. You know they're really trying to give him this hero shot at the end. I don't I don't think it's yeah I don't think it's necessary. You're absolutely right. Um, one thing that's kind of strange. I was looking up. I mentioned the Prince of Egypt had three albums to uh, be inspired by. I don't um, know. I guess with the ones with music inspired by Prince of Egypt were called. Um. Remembrance. Uh, so, so it, I'll give you a hint. It's 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 Recreation. Prince of Egypt, and then like a word after it. No, uh, so one one is was marketed, you know, more directly to the the Christian music market. That one's called Prince of Egypt, inspirational. And then the other one, sadly, it's um, it's you know, religious <laughs> uh, music inspired by Prince of Egypt. 
by country yeah, artist we'll just name that was called the Prince of Egypt Nashville. <laughs> Which so so this is a ninety-eight minute movie. It feels yeah, longer, a but not title in a there bad way. There's odd, a lot but, um, packed into this movie. Yes. I think because there's a lot packed into it, and the sort of, you know, the, going for the biblical epic feel, it, it it really, I mean, you compare it to other animated films, 98 minutes is quite a long running time for a... Uh, an animated film at this time. Even even now, that's sort of the longer running time for an American-produced uh, animated film. And, um, yeah, this movie really surprised me. I remember seeing it in the theater. I didn't like it that much, but rewatching going it, into I it, I've never seen uh, that. a good bit more, and I'm very curious how ne next week's direct-to-video Joseph, King of Dreams, um, holds up. So, I... Yeah, I've never seen it either. Uh, I just know it features the voice talents of Ben Affleck and Mark Hamill, but that's, that's all I really know about it. Um, and Jody Benson, who was the uh, voice of the Little Mermaid, but yeah, Prince of Egypt, I, w I would give um, sequel. Yes, you know, I think it's a thoughtful portrayal of uh, the part of the story of Moses from the Book of Exodus in the Bible, and it's um, some good songs in there. I think, I it does run a bit long. I think you could good. Yeah, I'm going to give it a sequel, yes, as well. I wish there were more but, um, movies like this. For like, the most part, like, not, and it, works, it doesn't even uh, have to be like well. like a Bible story. I like, I I like that it's an epic animated musical mm -hmm. that takes itself a little bit more seriously and aims to be a little bit more high art than what you usually get out of Disney. Like, if 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 there was to be an animated. Um, an animated Lord of the Rings movie that wasn't by Ralph Bakshi or Rankin Bass, this is exactly how I would want it to look, and this is exactly the way I would want the material to be handled. There, there's there's just something very real, grounded, and human about about this film. I want more animation that's like that. Sure. Um... Well, I think it's interesting is when this came out, wow. even though you said it might have been considered a flop, this was still the highest-grossing non-Disney cool. feature at the time. It set a record until it was broken, of all things, by a Chicken Run. Uh, if it's not and then, Shrek, guess it's Despicable which non um, Disney animated movie beat the record after Chicken Run. Oh, nice! The Simpsons, 2D animated, I get. Oh wait, so, but yeah, I think probably Shrek probably did beat it. But yeah, anyway, that's, that's well, all pretty interesting. Well, I will just um, say. So yeah, Prince of I will just say that. Uh, well done. Um, I, I don't think know if we should you do could have for this done not, an animated Ten Commandments story as a sequel to this, and I think like that would have been that would have been well worth doing. So that would be my pitch of sequel, is just ah, take yeah, that whole sure, Ten Commandments scene and just do the whole Ten Commandments story. Yeah, I would... Um, if I were doing it, instead of oh. doing a movie, I would maybe spin it off into a TV show. And try to use this animated style to do different stories from the Bible on, in sort of a shorter form. Um, but that's sort of cheating. But yeah, if, was, if I was doing a movie for a sequel for Prince of Egypt, 
Oh, so many different stories you could tell. Um, you know, I would try and do Adam and Eve as a musical. Well, my question would be, be, how much of Adam and Eve do you do? Because do you go all the way up to Cain and Abel, or do you just kind of stop when they get kicked out of the garden? Future. <laughs> I think you would stop when you get kicked out of the garden. This, and on a downward. <laughs> that that um, dark and gritty Bible reboot. So. Mm hmm. It would just have them walking <laughs> slowly. Laughing. Being rejected from the Garden of Eden. So you're positing a dark and gritty Bible reboot where God is the villain. Just like an evil laugh. Kind of, kind of <laughs> like, kind of like in the D, the current DC Universe reboot, Superman might as well be the villain. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right. Oh wow. <laughs> Well, let me see. So I need to I need to look up I need to look up the title. Uh, oh no, uh, I I watched an American Italian horror movie co-production called uh, Contagion. And uh, oh wait a minute, I might I might have I might have the title wrong. It might be called Infection. Oh okay. Um, but the uh, I, I will try to conf I will try to confirm what it what it is. But uh, it's it is crazy as hell. So like a boat, a a boat like washes up in the New York Harbor, and it's full of these like weird egg looking things. But they're not eggs; they're fungus. And if you touch one, you explode. And so it's about this, like, reporter and this person from the Center for Disease Control trying to figure out where these are coming from and what's going okay. on. And it kind of turns into this weird global conspiracy. There's, like, a smuggling network that are trying to get these these fungus pods uh, distributed through all the world's major cities. It connects to a coffee plantation in Brazil and a Mars mission and, like, and, it, and there's this crazy alien monster at the end. It is it is the best kind of crazy, over the top, over the top horror movie. And even though even though all the dialogue was recorded in English, the sync, like it has the audio quality as if every line of dialogue was re-recorded later, despite the fact that it looked that it was probably recorded live on set. It's it is so wild. Uh I there all of those all of those movies you always end up getting a uh, at least one it, big. Um, was anyone famous uh, in it? Or? Let me see if I can. Uh, let me see if I can track this down because I think I did. Uh, I think I did get the. Uh, see. Oh wait a minute. I think I may have finally found it. Ah, yes, here we go. It's called Contamination, directed by Lu by Luigi Cozy. Uh, so it stars uh, Ian McCullough, Louise Merlot, uh, Marion Massey, uh, Siegfried Rausch, and uh, 
Gisela Han. No, I guess there is no big name person in here, but it's just like, it's the movie is inexplicable. Like it is, it is unclear whether even the movie knows where it's gonna go in each given scene. But the gore effects are crazy. Uh, it's just this dirty, slimy movie, and the alien monster at the end. And please understand, I'm not giving anything away when I say there's an alien monster at the end, because. You, the journey you will take to get there <laughs> will be quite the experience. And this, yeah, this came out in uh, 1980, released originally in Germany. Cool. Hmm. All right. Um, we were sort of stuck around the house. Uh, cool yesterday and so we were watching a movie called Why Me um, which stars James Franco and Brian Cranston and it, 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 the concept for this comedy is very tired. It's the daughter goes off to college and when she comes back she reveals she's been dating this guy that's ten years older than her that has all these tattoos that the twist in this one was he's like the head of a very popular technology company and he has the whole family for the Christmas break live at his, you know, modern house um, as opposed to them staying in a hotel and going to visit him. And at the same time, he wants to propose to the, the girl, but he's too scared. And there's animosity between uh, James Franco, the guy, and Brian Cranston, the father of his girlfriend. Um, I think it's it's funny, but... It's also, it tries to play things, like, serious towards the end, which doesn't really work. Because this is a movie with very broad humor, you know, a big... They, there's an extended five-minute sequence about Brian Cranston is on a Japanese toilet, and he's being told to push the different buttons, but it's a new model of the hmm. machine, so it's in Japanese, and he pushes the wrong button, and he has water squirt up in unexpected places. Um... So I, I, I can't say I'd recommend it. I think it was just okay. And uh, they, they tend to lean on the same jokes a bit too much. James Franco curses a lot in front of them. And they, he gets reprimanded for that, but he does it over and over and over again. So it just seems like he's never listening. And uh, there's a very strange joke with uh, Keegan-Michael Key is sort of his manservant there, and he, he speak, he's a character with a German accent, and they do kind of this Pink Panther bit where he keeps on interrupting James Franco, attacking him to get him to oh, defend no. himself. And you literally have the father character say, oh, it's like Pink Panther. It's like Pink Panther and Cato, and explains what that is, and they don't know what... It, but the thing is, they don't know what he's talking about. And I thought, well, after they bring that up, are they going to keep on doing this throughout the movie? And they still do. They still have James Franco being attacked by surprise. By Keegan Michael Key, who's a huge that, guy. That's um, been uh, that's been the the so biggest yeah, thing. I've been trying okay. to get uh, caught um, back up on uh, on some uh, some TV viewing. Although, actually, here's here's a fun tangent. I started watching uh, Rowan and Martin's Laugh In. It was sort of it was sort of the pinnacle of TV comedy for a time. It was it was a particular past generation's sort of uh, oh, yeah. equivalent of SNL before SNL became their equivalent of SNL. It is a 
the overall, I'm going to say the humor in Rowan and Martin's laughing holds up pretty well. I think that's in part because a lot of it involves cheesy one-liners that just don't date. Uh, but then beyond hmm. that, it's also that if you know anything about the 60s and 70s, there are there are jokes about things from that era that still resonate today. So it all it all kind of it, it holds up surprisingly well. I did not know Flip Wilson was on the first season of that show. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because like the fir- the first few episodes, you can tell they're still kind of feeling their way around. So people kind oh, of appear and okay. disappear in the cast and the oh, is format he doing characters or? a little bit. But overall, it's it's really enjoyable, and there is there is I think something to be said for a comedy series that can do a joke just for the sake of doing a joke. There doesn't have to be an elaborate setup. Uh, it's actually it's rather like the robot chicken format, where there are some longer form sketches, but mostly it's just quick cut one off gags. Excuse me. Right. I'll have to check that out. I've been seeing it's been popping up in some streaming services. I just haven't uh, given it a watch yet. Um, I did see one more movie, and this one was not great. I don't know what I expected. This came out last year. It's called The House. It's with Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler. And the storyline is good, but then they tend to wrap up the story too easy, and it just keeps on going. And, And so what it is is they have a daughter that's going to college, and the college that she's in um, was the, I've never heard of anything like this, but the neighborhood that they live in, or no, it must be the, never mind, this, the city that the city they live in does a scholarship um, once a year where someone's child, if they write a good enough essay, gets a free ride for college for the whole time if they win. And the Will Ferrell and Amy Poehler's daughter wins that. But because of um, because they want to spend the budget to build a gigantic water park hmm. instead, they decide to not give that um, scholarship out anymore. And so now they're stuck with this big, you know, bill for this expensive college their daughter's going to, and they don't want to tell her not to go to college. And so with uh, <laughs> okay. a friend of theirs um, who's going through a divorce, they have a scheme to convert his house into a illegal underground casino. With the idea being, in a month, they'll raise enough money to pay off their daughter's, uh, you know, college bill for the four years, and he'll have enough money to kind of start his new life and live comfortably for a while. Um, and you think, okay, that's that's fine, but then they, they throw in all these weird subplots about um, gangsters and the money being stolen and them trying to steal the money back. And it seems like with that premise, it would make a funny sketch, maybe, or maybe an episode of a TV show, but as a movie, it's just stretched really thin. And it has um, moments of surprisingly gory violence that kind of come out of nowhere. So not great, you know, if I was, between the other movie I talked about, I guess you'd be better off seeing Why Me, but neither one, you know, deeply. Uh, yes, I did, I did uh, pull up a scene uh, between Moses and Ramesses that and, I thought uh, would be really fun to It looks like we have a scene to, for us to do to here, Thrasher, out. is that right? It's from, from earlier in the film when they're on much better terms. Okay, let me, uh, 
Yes. Hold on a second, my Skype Um, I, I, I'll be Ramsey, um, oh, he's the man in gauze. Okay, I see the scene. So who do you want to be in the scene? Okay, I'll be Moses. Um, so yeah, just go scene. away. They're younger and they're talking to each other uh, about their relationship. The weak link in the well, chain, that that's well. what he called me. Could have been worse. Irresponsible, ignorant of the traditions. Are oh, we practically accused me of bringing down the dynasty? Well, you are rather pathetic. <laughs> oh, for fun. Yeah, I can see it now. There go the pyramids. <laughs> yeah. So. Yes, absolutely. Um, so next week we'll be talking about the direct-to-video sequel to Prince of Egypt, Joseph, King of Dreams. So stay tuned for that. And um, you can follow me on Twitter at MATWPT. You can follow me um, at Internet Mayor. Follow the show uh, on Twitter or Facebook. Just look up SequelCast 2. And, uh, and this is Thrasher. Great. So for SequelCast I am, two, I am this is trying bad. to find a quote that I can do for this movie that won't make me look Same. like a uh, jackass. <laughs> By the power of Ra.